May God's grace and peace be with you today from Jesus Christ, our Savior, who has forgiven us all his sins through his cross. Amen. I'd like to start today with a question. If God is good, why does he allow so much evil in the world? Why do we see so much evil around us? You all probably look at the news, and we certainly see how much wrong there is out there. And it can be pretty depressing, amen? So you might, wanna, you might ask at that point, God, where are you? If you are just, if you are all-powerful, if you are good and loving, why do you allow all this evil in the world? Why do the wicked prosper? Why are many times the righteous brought low? Why don't you do something? What are you doing, God? What's going on? Yes, God, why, if you are good, do you allow so much evil in the world? Have you ever wondered these things? Well, today, God's going to answer these, these questions for us in Scripture, and especially Jesus is going to answer this uh, in the parable of the wheat and the tares, which we'll get to in just a moment. But first, I want to talk about the importance of of answering this question correctly. Why does God allow so much evil in the world? You know, we look at the news each day, and I was just looking at it when I was preparing the sermon. This is what I came up with just when I clicked it on the internet. North Korea vows preemptive nuclear strike on the USA. Mom charged with using taser on son. City council bans ministers from invoking Christ at meetings. Man goes berserk with an ax at Dunkin' Donuts. Hunt is on for thieves who poisoned officers, dogs, and robbery. Yes, don't I feel great and happy now after reading all that. And there is this whole host of it every day. How do you feel when you see evil in the world and around you and on the news like this? You might ask, God, where are you? If all this evil is going on, why are you not acting to crush it and destroy it? And you know the danger here, why this question is important? is if you don't have a biblical understanding of why God allows evil in the world, you might get depressed, you might get dark, you might be disillusioned, you might even start to depart from your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus says of the last days in Matthew 24, because wickedness is multiplied, most men's love will grow cold. So I want to ask you now personally, where would you be in a scale from 1 to 10 right today about how warm is your love? Has your love been growing cold when you see all this evil in the world and you may be questioning, where is God in all this? Well, God doesn't want you to be dim or dark or such things or disillusioned in the faith. He wants you to understand this question and he tells you the answer to it in the scriptures. Let's take a look at some of those places where this question is posed in the scriptures. Later on, we'll get to that answer, but I just want you to know it's a godly question to ask. Saints have asked this for generations, friends, go to Dan, uh, David in Psalm 12. He says, Help, Lord, for there is no longer anyone that is godly, for the faithful have vanished from among the sons of men. You ever say that when you look around at things? Seems like everybody has just kind of gone off the deep end. Well, David felt that 3,000 years ago. We can jump over here to Psalm 73. Truly God uh, says, As for me, my feet almost stumbled. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs. Their bodies are sound and sleek. They're not in trouble as other men are. They are not stricken like other men. Therefore, pride is their necklace and violence covers them. 
He's saying basically that the wicked are prospering and doing great. And he is almost stumbling, he says, Asaph and Psalm 73, because he sees this. And he's like, why is God not bringing justice here? We could jump over to Habakkuk. In these days, he saw uh, the evil destroying the wicked. He says, um, Lord, how long shall I cry to you for help? And you will not hear or cry violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see wrongs and look upon trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous so that justice goes forth perverted. You, God, are of purer eyes than to behold evil. And you cannot look on wrong. Why do you look on faithless men and are silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. Have you ever asked that question? When you're looking at the world and you're, you're looking at a, a wicked person triumphing over the, bat, over the good guy. Whether it be whatever the situation is. God, why are you idle? Why do you not bring justice? Why do you allow so much evil in the world? Where are you? If you are good and just and all powerful, as your word says, what's going on? Well... Habakkuk asked that, David asked that, uh, Asaph asked that. In fact, one more place in Malachi here. In fact, it's a lot in the Bible, but look at Malachi. God chastises, chastises his people because they say, it's in vain to serve God. What's the use of serving him, in other words? What's the good of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Henceforth, we deem the arrogant to be blessed. Evildoers, they don't only prosper, but when they put God to the test, they escape. Does that sound like you sometimes? I know even my dad, I remember a few times he's gotten upset listening to the news. He's like, why are the evil seemingly triumphing all over the place? And it can be very distressing for us. I think we've all felt that. Well, if you, if you want to know the answer to this, all we need to do is look at the scriptures. Why does God allow evil in the world? What's going on? Well, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 13. Jesus tells us a parable in order to make it very clear. He says to us and preaches, The kingdom of heaven, friends, may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the householder came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then has it weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, then, do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. There's his answer. Do you get it? <laughs> Pretty much, but let's explain it here. The disciples actually said Jesus explained this, and this is one of the parables Jesus actually explains carefully to us. First of all, uh, he says, He who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. So if you are God, and this, this is the uh, parable here, God's looking down on the whole globe. Imagine the earth. Just picture it right now before you. God is the farmer, and the whole world, the whole earth, is his field for planting. And who is uh, Who's the farmer here? He says, he who plants the good seed is the son of man. Who's the son of man? You tell me. Say it louder. Jesus is the son of man. He is the one who plants good seed. Take the globe 
and on it he's sprinkling good seed all over it. What kind of seed? Good seed. What does he want to grow up? What's any farmer want to grow up in his crops? You who are farmers? Wheat in this case, good seed. He wants good, a good crop. Look at that, a beautiful crop of wheat. God's got the earth and all around it he is desiring righteousness and goodness to spring up. But Jesus also acknowledges in this parable that what grows up in this field as well? Weeds. All right. I definitely have one of those here too, don't I? You know me. Okay, here are some weeds. They grow up as well along with the weed growing up. Jesus acknowledges in this parable the point that we're talking about today that there is good in this world and there is also much evil as well. And then uh, we read here that the weeds, uh, sorry, the wheat are, it says, let's read it. The good seeds means the sons of the kingdom, Jesus says. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. So on the world, in the world, there are both those who the son of man has caused to be believers in him. They are like wheat. They are good. They're producing a good crop of good seed, good fruit and good things that God's doing in the world. But there are also weeds in God's field uh, that produce evil. He says the weeds are the sons of the evil one. That's anybody who lives in unbelief and follows the teachings of the devil who teaches lies. In fact, Jesus said this, right, to the Jews. He said, if God were your father, Jews, unrepentant Jews, you'd love me. For I proceeded and came forth from God. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You're of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. So what's Jesus saying to you right now today? He's saying, in my field, in my world, there's going to be good and evil all the way until the day when I come. And both are going to be growing up together. Whenever in the world that you see good in any form whatsoever, that is my hand, my work, causing it to spring forth in the globe. The good, he who sows the good seed, say good, is the son of man. It's his work to do good. And do you know that everything that's good in the world comes from God? That's a beautiful thing. You can see God's hand actually around you in the world. I, the Lord, love justice, he says. Isaiah 61, I hate robbery and wrong. I will faith, faith, faithfully give them their recompense. And in Jeremiah, we're told, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, or the rich man in his riches, or the mighty man in his strength, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practice steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? That your king... God delights in righteousness, justice, and the other one I mentioned here, <laughs> in the earth, okay? He raises the poor from the dust, lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, Psalm 113. And James says, every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above. It's sort of like rain falling down on God's field, you know? Every good gift comes from the Father of lights, coming down from him with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. So Jesus says when you look at the world, the evil is not from God. 
the good is from God, is the Son of Man sprinkling, showering the whole world with the sons of righteousness, his people who believe in him, to bring forth an abundance of good, uh, a good crop and good fruits. And you see that in the world. But you also see in the world evil. Evil over here, it's not the work of God, but it's Satan's work. What's Jesus saying in the parable? The servants come up and say, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Why then has it weeds? Where'd these come from? Jesus' answer, the farmer's answer, an enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. And Jesus says that that enemy is Satan, the evil one, who sows evil in the world. Whenever you look at murder in the world, or a lie, or something that is born of unbelief, or anything of that nature, that comes from, Jesus says, the evil one, who's sprinkling his seeds around the world too. An enemy of God, and he sprinkles them into the souls and minds of people. Don't you see it everywhere? This is invisible stuff, but we're seeing the real concrete stuff in front of our face. When someone, when God, when the, sorry, the evil one sprinkles unbelief into a person's mind and clouds them to believe a lie, they bring forth lies and things that are wrong and things that are harmful. Wherever you see a broken relationship, a broken marriage, cheating, stealing, conniving, adultery, fornication, theft, rape, lust, hunger for power, abuse, the fruits of unbelief, you're looking at the work of the evil one not of God. Which now leads us to the answer to our overall question for today. Ding, 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 ding. Why does God allow evil in the world and suffering and the wicked to prosper? Well, the servants of the householder came and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? How then has it weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. And the servants said, Then do you want us to go and gather them? Gather the weeds? Pick them up? And the farmer says, No, lest in gathering the weeds... You root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. There's our answer, folks. Why does God allow evil in the world? Because he does not want to uproot the good along with it. You know, there's good growing up in the world today, too. The news doesn't want to let you know. Their eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth to bring to you every scoundrel, every evil that there is, and everything wrong, to bring it right to your doorstep, every day. But there's also good growing up in the world that God doesn't want to uproot. Every day there are people believing in Jesus Christ and being saved for eternity. Every day people are showing compassion and tenderness, visiting those who are poor, helping those who are weak, reaching out their hands in kindness and love, and confessing Jesus Christ. So both of these are growing up and God does not want to harm the tearing up of the two. He wants this one. So in Jesus' day, these two actually looked quite a bit the same. The weeds and the tares. Sorry, the wheat and the tares. The word for weeds in this one is zidzanion in the Greek. Kind of weird word. But it was a, it's a kind of crop that still grows in Palestine and Syria to this day. And in the early stages, the two growing up together, they actually look almost identical. So if the farmers were to go out and the helpers were to tear up the wheat, they'd be tearing up the, uh, the, the, sorry, tear up the weeds, they'd be tearing up the weed along with them. So in this case, both are to grow together until the close of the age, the harvest time. And that's what God is doing here. 
Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they'll gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and evildoers, and throw them into the furnace of fire. Their men will weep and gnash their teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I want to ask you that question right now. Do you have ears to hear this parable? Are your ears closed or your ears and eyes open to it? Why does God allow evil in the world? Why does he allow the wicked to prosper for a time? Why do you have NBA, NBA basketball players who have 10 felonies, <laughs> they've been in and out of jail, they've slept with a thousand women, and they're swimming in millions of dollars, and the world praises and praises and can't get enough of them? Why do mafia bosses who get their living by crime live in lavish penthouses and drive around fancy cars? Why do people who have no Christian conscience, no morals, no compass whatsoever in the ways of truth are sent to places of CEOs and, and heads of countries and politics? Well, let them both grow up together until the harvest day, and then on that day we'll separate the two and these will be burned in the fire, and these will be brought into my granary, where they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So why does God allow, God allow evil in the world? Because he does not want to uproot the good, which he, if he does that, if God came today on the clouds of heaven, and he very well may, but if he came 10 years ago, all this good that's been growing up in the last 10 years would have been uprooted, and God's not willing to do that because he's a good God. Let them both grow together until the end. So see how this plays out then in all the other scriptures we're just looking at. David was all, oh God, God, there's no longer anybody righteous left on the earth. It's filled with wickedness. What was God's answer in that Psalm, Psalm 12? Because the poor are despoiled, because the needy groan, I'll now arise, says the Lord. I'll place him in the safety for which his soul longs. Do you know that God does that even in our age, in our days? He blesses and prospers and helps the righteous to survive. But there's a day coming upon which he will stand up and bring total justice for all the oppressed. That day is coming, the harvest. Hebrew, uh, Habakkuk was saying, how long, O Lord? How long do I have to look on evils and wrongs? How long will the righteous man swallow up, sorry, the wicked man swallow up the righteous man and you do nothing? And he says, I'll take my stand and watch and see what God will answer to my complaint. And God answered him this. He says, write this. Make it plain on a tablet so even someone running by can read it. He says, for still the vision awaits its time. It hastens to its end. If it seems slow, wait for it. It'll surely come. It will not delay. Behold, and here's the answer, he whose soul is not upright in him shall fail, but the righteous shall live by his faith. What's God telling you to do? When you're all flustered and frustrated <laughs> to make up a word. When you see evil in the world, <laughs> what is God telling you to do? He says, wait, be patient. The vision awaits its time. It's hastening to its end. It's hastening to the harvest day. But be patient until that day. For the righteous shall live by his faith on that day. And Psalm 73, this guy is watching you know, the NBA players and 10 felonies and and they have sleek bodies. They have no pangs of conscience. They're swimming in money. He says, but when I thought to understand how, uh, understand this, it seemed a worrisome task until I went into God's sanctuary and then I perceived their end. The harvest, the end, the, the last when God acts. 
Truly, you set them in slippery places and make them fall. But for me, it's good to be near God. I've made the Lord my refuge, is the answer. So in every place, all the way through the scriptures, the same question's asked, just like you ask. In every place, God's answering the same question. They're both growing together, friends, until the harvest. In fact, when God's people spoke against him and said it's in vain to serve God, the wicked are prospering, the righteous are brought low, I'm not even going to serve him anymore, it's useless because these guys are prospering, why should I serve God if I don't prosper? You know what God's answer was in that case? He rebukes them for such a thought. And he says, it says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, one another, and the Lord heeded and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and of those who thought on his name. A book of remembrance. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you confess your sins? When he says, come and follow me, do you want to follow him? You know, he is your savior. He's your good shepherd. It says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, my special possession on the day when I act. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more, you will just, shall distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Yes, for a time, friends, these look to be just about the same. What's the use of being righteous? For these guys are doing better than the righteous. God says, on that day when I act, on the day when I act, when I come and act, you will see that I make a big distinction between the wheat and the tares on that day. So don't lose heart in these days. And you know what? God is so good. I have the good pleasure to announce he is such a good God that you serve. That he says this. He's even working day and night to convert these people and turn them into this. It says, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of, of the wicked, but rather that the wicked should turn from his wicked way and live. Turn back, turn back. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, says the Lord God. So turn and live. And God wants to produce this all over the world. So, What's God saying to you then today through these words of Jesus? He's saying to you these couple of things before I close. He's saying, you be patient then until the coming of the Lord. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Don't lose heart when you see the wicked prospering. Don't lose courage. Don't lose faith. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Do not doubt God, on account of the wicked prospering, for he cares, oh, he cares. He cares more than you'll ever know between righteousness and, and unrighteousness, <clears throat> justice and injustice. And you have a king, friends, who is good, who is just, who is righteous, who is holy, and all that he does and is, and he has even given his life for you, his own flesh for the life of the world on that cross to bring you salvation by his grace. And he says, come follow me, for I, and Isaiah 40, I'll renew your strength so that you mount up with wings like eagles. You shall run and not be weary. I shall make you to walk and not faint. And I'll conclude with this line from Psalm 9, one of my favorites. God says, for the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Our Lord, come in Jesus' name. Amen.